And I'm just going to read to you the first four verses as an opener, but I will be referring to all of the book as we go through. If you like, it's a little Bible study on an Old Testament book. And we're going to talk this morning about fear. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. I suspect that every one of us here this morning has known a moment of fear. I don't think anybody is immune from fear. And I suspect there are many of you here as well that maybe have had a moment of fear when you even think that God has forsaken you and you really think you're on your own. Rather like the passengers in a plane one day when sitting there quietly minding their own business when an announcement came over the loudspeaker. This is your captain speaking. On behalf of my crew, I'd like to welcome you aboard flight 602 from New York to London. We are currently flying at the height of 35,000 feet midway across the Atlantic. If you look out of the windows on the starboard side, you will notice that both the starboard engines are on fire. If you look out of the windows on the port side, you will observe that the port wing has fallen off. If you look down towards the Atlantic, you will see a little yellow life raft with three people in it waving to you. That's me, the co-pilot, and one of the flight attendants. This is a recording. <laughs> now, I suspect not many of you have felt yourself in a situation like that, but I suspect some of you have. You know, panic and fear can cause even the strongest people to go to pieces. Abraham was scared that the king would fancy his wife. So he told everybody she was his sister. And uh, she was invited into his harem. But God overruled. Baruch, mighty man of God that he was, was so afraid he wouldn't go into battle. And so God raised up a prophetess, Deborah. And she went with him. And he'd only go if she went with him. Elijah, he prayed fire down from heaven. A whole nation, hundreds of thousands of people have fallen on their knees. Then he gets a letter from the queen. Watch out, I'm after you. And he runs. And fear grips him. And he sits in a cave bemoaning the fact, saying to God, I'm the only one left. Peter, the man who was prepared to take up a sword, the next minute was afraid when confronted with a young woman and asked if he was a follower of Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? How just in a moment, you could be brave 
and another moment you can be filled with fear. And you know, fear can stop churches and stop Christians really achieving what God wants for them. And Satan loves to use fear. And let me say, actions and decisions that are motivated by fear are never, ever good decisions to make. Mother of eight children came home one afternoon and noticed it was quieter than usual. She looked in the living room and five of her little darlings were sitting in a circle playing with five of the cutest skunks you've ever seen. And I've seen them in the garden at Canada. And they are cute. Instantly, she began to scream, Run, children, run! Each child grabbed a skunk and ran in different directions. But her screams scared them so much, they squeezed the stunks too tight. And she regretted panicking and realized it wasn't wise. And if you've ever heard, smelt the smell of a skunk, I tell you, it fills a street. It's, it, is, it is horrible. Panic, panic, panic. Now here in this chapter, it's very interesting. Because what we've got here is a man who is, for this moment, he's filled with fear. And, and what's interesting about this, it's not like the other prophecies. It's a man talking to God and God talking to him, rather than a man prophesying. And it was written about, they reckon about 600 BC, in the time when Judah, Israel had been taken captive by the Assyrians, and Judah had turned his back upon God. It could have even been towards the end of the reign of Manasseh. He was a king who was the wickedest king and ruled for the longest, would you believe? So you can understand how this man feels. And at the same time, suddenly the armies of Babylon are on the march. In fact, they have attacked Assyria and they've laid it waste and everybody was scared to death of Assyria. And now they can be seen to be eyeing up Jerusalem and eyeing up Israel. And the prophet speaks and he opens his heart to God. By the way, when you're afraid, it's not a bad thing to have a chat with God. For goodness sake, don't talk to yourself. And for goodness sake, don't go around panicking, talking to people. Just stop for a moment and have a chat with God. God's a good person to talk to because, you know, the wonderful thing about God is that when you talk to him, he so often gives you the answer that you're looking for. But you don't talk often when you're in this situation. You go panicking, running there. And even sometimes, because you're a man, for instance, you hold it in. You mustn't show fear. And that's not good. It's not good. And here we have God and the prophet having a conversation. Now, what is interesting, if you read it, you will notice that chapter 1 deals with the cause of fear. Chapter 2 deals with contradictions to fear. And chapter 3 deals with coping with fear. And it's all there in that book. Chapter 1, the cause of fear. Now, of course, there are many reasons you can be afraid. In fact, I'm told now they've got names for every phobia going. I'm not going to give them to you because I can't pronounce most of them. But there's a phobia of crowds, darkness, being looked at by other people, failure, loneliness, marriage, poverty, responsibility, being made fun of, school, God, death and hell. And they've all got their titles, their phobias. 
Recently, they did a survey in this country of what people are afraid of. Strangers, pedophiles, bullying, accidents, smoking, drinking, drugs, antisocial behavior. Interestingly, sexual behavior, internet safety, stress, depression, and self-harm, and so on. Now, I understand, don't get me wrong, I understand there are some people that like to look into these things and diagnose it and find out what the root cause of the trouble is. But what I find interesting is that when you look at chapter 1, there are two reasons that cause fear. And I want to suggest to you this morning that at the heart of all fear are these two reasons. And if you can understand that and deal with that, you've actually probably solved your problem. The first one that is what the prophet says, and that's in verses 2 and 4. And he talks about the prosperity of the wicked and those that oppose us. In other words, what he's saying here is, Life is not fair. What is going on? Why do you show me iniquity? He says in verses 2 and 3, there's violence everywhere. He says in uh, verse 3, there's conflict, strife. In chapter 4, he says there's lawlessness. And continuing in chapter 4, he says, even your people are being persecuted. What's going on? Are you in control, Lord? Why do people around me who are doing things that I know are wrong and not living right, why do they seem to prosper and I'm not? It's a good question, isn't it? And it's what the prophet asks here. And I think this, this kind of thing, it can cause us to fear. We think God has forgotten us. We've got problems. We've got difficulties. And God doesn't appear to be doing anything. And you say, why? Why? I mean, there's a sinner here, and, and they were sick, and they're better. I'm not. Why? Their kids are okay. Why aren't my kids? And we can, we can look at our circumstances, and we can see people that are not godly prospering, and, and to us, it seems that life is not fair. And you know what that can do? It can undermine us, our confidence and our faith, and it can cause us to fear. God, you're not doing anything. Why? 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 Now, of course, we do recognize as Christians we are in a battle. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers and darkness of this age. And I want to say, friends, if you just look at these things and you look at the world around you and you look at the enemy you will end up being fearful, whether you like it or not. That's why, again, understand, you know, don't get me wrong here, but I don't like spending too much time talking to the devil or thinking about the devil or, you know, let him get on with it. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to get my eyes on God. And, and, and so often, it seems to go on. He says, how long? I mean, this king had been king for goodness knows how long. I mean, he was the longest reigning king of Israel. And he was the wickedest. What is God doing here? I mean, why didn't he let some of the good guys, you know, reign a bit longer and cut this guy out a bit? But, but that was what was happening. That was what was happening. And in the end, 
If we let fear get hold of us, and if we let the world around us and everything that's happening around us control our thoughts and our emotions, we end up being afraid to do anything. We don't witness. We don't live for Jesus. Because it seems to us that life is not fair. That, to me, is one of the root causes of fear. But then the second one. Because in verses 5 to 17... God replies to the prophet, and in verse 6, the heart of that passage is, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, and they're going to sort things out for me. Now, as far as the prophet was concerned, the Babylonians were a wicked Gentile nation. Now, here was another problem. What do you want to do it this way for, God? Surely you've gotten better methods than this. I mean, you know, this lot, they're worse than the Assyrians. That, that's so wicked, that's so terrible, that's so horrible. What are you doing? Why do you have to do it this way? Now the Bible says in Isaiah, God says, well, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And I want to tell you something. If you've lived long enough, you soon begin to realize you can't always figure God out. You just have to trust him. You just don't know what he's up to sometimes. You look around about you, and, and, and you think to yourself, Why? And what we forget is, we only see part of the picture, but God sees the whole picture. You know, Israel objected to Moses going to Pharaoh because when he did, he made their problems worse when he first went. What they didn't realize was that God was going to judge that nation and practically destroy it and send plagues. And what was happening in the heart of Pharaoh was happening so that God could do what he wanted to do. And and, and sometimes, friends, God is at work even, in fact, I want to say, not sometimes, God is always at work, even in our most difficult times. You see, what the prophet didn't quite grasp was that God had to change these people. Now, God had tried everything. And and God will. I mean, let me tell you, friends, God wants you to be a good Christian, God wants you to be like his son, Jesus. And God will work on you. He will work on you. He will send his servants. He will talk to you. He will even use donkeys sometimes like he did with Balaam to try and get through to you. But if you won't listen, he may have to do something just a little bit stronger. The Bible says sometimes he chastens us. Sometimes he really gets to sort us out. And you know, friends, God sometimes is at work, even when we don't realize it, forming our character, doing something in our lives, making us more patient. When you're going through, you don't learn patience when everything's going good, do you? You learn patience when everything goes wrong. And friends, we have to realize that God was seeking to change and transform his people. He was also testing them. Interesting, verse 4 says, the just shall live by faith. And um, it's very interesting. By the way, that's um, uh, later on. But if we're going to live by faith, how do we live by faith? We're having it all laid out on the plate? No. You learn to live by faith through the difficult times. James said, blessed is the man who endures temptation, 
For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Peter says, So in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you are grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Would you like to have been in the boat when Jesus said, Be still! And it was all still. Would you have had to have been in the storm beforehand when the boat was nearly sinking it was full of water to be there? And you see, God sometimes tests us. Somebody said, a smooth sea never made a skillful mariner. And that's absolutely true. But also God was teaching his people. And, and particularly men like this prophet, that God has different methods sometimes of doing things than what you think. Do you notice that so often when you're going through things and God kind of comes with an answer, it tends to take you out of your comfort zone. You notice that. You know, God, you're, you're saying, God, move. God, do this. God, undertake. And God does something. And, and hey, this is not what I'm used to. This is kind of not the way, you know, it's been done before. Um, what is going on? And, and you, you, you don't realize that, that in, in these circumstances, when it seems that God is using different methods that you don't understand, that God is teaching us. And friends, understand this. Although we do not understand God's ways, the Bible says we know that all things work together for good to them who love him. Everything is for the good, even though you can't figure it out. Even though it's painful. Even though it causes you tears. Because God is working something out, and you may not understand it. You may not be behind it seeing what he's doing, but he is doing it even though the methods he's using are difficult to understand. And by the way, just on this subject of fear, remember this, the Bible says, in the last days, men's hearts will fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. In other words, this thing, fear, is going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So understand, friends, with all the other things and the phobias and everything else, underneath it are two things, really. We can't figure out what God is doing and we we don't trust him. Or he's using methods and we don't understand or he's allowing things to happen that we don't understand. And that takes our eyes off him. And the moment we take our eyes off him, fear takes over. Now in chapter 2, there's a little bit of discussion. Now I like Habakkuk. Because what he says in verse 1, he says, in, of chapter 2, I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say and what I will say when I am corrected. Isn't that lovely? He's, added to, he's complained to God. He's told him the problem. God's added to it by giving him a method he's going to use that he don't like. So he says, right then, I'm not going to panic. I'm just going to stand there and I'm going to listen and I'm going to see what God has to say. And again, God speaks. And he's interested. What God does is, he shows him how his fear is so irrational. Because actually, if you're a Christian, fear is totally irrational. There's absolutely no sense to it at all. If you really understand 
even though you feel it, even though you're going through it. Because what fear does, it dulls your thinking to the reality of who God is and what he can do. Somebody said this, fear is the dark room where Satan develops your negatives. Shall I say that again? Fear is the dark room where Satan develops your negatives. And friends, when you are controlled by fear rather than faith, you, I mean, I was looking through my now. I've got story after story after story of people that did stupid things when a moment of fear got them. You know, on his way home from a gig, a juggler who was stopped by the police, on finding some large knives in the man's boot, the police asked him why he was carrying them. The man explained, it's part of my act. The doubting policeman asked him to prove it with a demonstration. Now, as he was juggling... Another driver went by who thought he was going to be stopped by the police because he'd been drinking a little bit and turned around to his mate and said, I'm glad I've stopped drinking and driving. Look at the test they're giving you now. <laughs> and when you get things out of proportion and don't think, see things in their reality, then, friends, you don't realize that God is in control. The devil is a liar. And God's word is true. Martin Luther said, Martin Luther King said, feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. And that is absolutely true. And the interesting thing, what he says in verse 2 of this chapter, he says, write the vision and make it plain as tablets. This is what God says to him. In other words, what I'm going to tell you now is set in concrete. I like that. Written in stone. It's unalterable. It will not change. And notice what he says. In chapter 1 and verses 5 and 11, and he, and he reinforces it in chapter 2, verses 9 to 12, he makes it clear to him that sin will not go unpunished. In other words, he said, I know I am using Babylon to do certain things for me at this moment in history, but listen... Their time will come. Make no mistake about it. The day will come when they as a nation too will be utterly destroyed by others, the Medes and the Persians. And friends, understand this. When you look around you and you see the wickedness and you see people getting away with it, they will not get away with it. No one will get away with sin unless it's covered by the blood. Thank God ours is. Thank God we're forgiven. Thank God we've, we've confessed it all to God. Thank God it's covered and it's done away with and it's forgotten. But listen, unconfessed sin will not go unpunished. And friends, no matter what happens, no matter what seems to be happening round about us, and in a sense what was happening to Israel is very much, I suggest, happening to our country at this moment. I mean, talking about England and the football. Bless them. I'm not even sure we deserve to win as a country at the moment. The way we're living and the way we're breaking the laws of God. But friends, when these things happen, note this, we are still on the side of holiness. And whether it's politically correct or not, sin is sin and hell is hell and that is what the Bible says. 
and we have to stand by it. We, we, we cannot fudge Scripture just because people don't like it. And if it means persecution, it will be persecution. But sin will, not, will one day be punished. And then verses 3 to 5. For the vision is yet for appointed times, but in the end it will speak, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. God's people will be preserved. Listen, guys, I've got news for you. You're safe. Did you get that? You're safe. Because God will preserve you. If you are trusting in him, I want to tell you, God will get you to heaven. You are going to go there one day. You can be absolutely sure of that. It is set in stone. It's set in concrete. It's God's word. And friends, God's people will be preserved. I mean, I remember some years ago when there was, in what was then the Belgium Congo, which is now Zaire. That was one of our greatest missionary works, our Assemblies of God work out there. We had an incredible work out there. Three men went out there. I mean, they arrived there, and the first thing the, the people did, they tried to poison them. And they at the mill, and nothing happened. And they came to them after and said, you know, why is it you're still alive? They said, why? They said, we gave you enough poison to kill elephants. And it didn't, didn't touch you. And from that moment on, God began to move, until in the end, they had a thousand churches in Zaire. God was moving in an incredible way. Then came the rebellion. I remember Teddy Hudson coming to our church and we brought all of our kids from all of our Sunday schools, about five or six hundred, into the church. And Teddy Hudson, one of our great missionaries, a great man of God, he held us spellbound. Every kid right to the youngest as he told them stories about his missionary work. A week later, he went out to Zaire and he and another missionary were cut to pieces with hacks, choppers by some of the people. And all the churches were attacked, and most of them burnt down, and the missionaries had to flee. They were so concerned about the work out there. But the troubles died down. In fact, many of those that killed those two missionaries actually became Christians because they saw how they died. And when they went back to Zaire, they found not 1,000 churches, but 2,000 churches. And God had multiplied the work and done an incredible thing out there and he had preserved his people. Friends, don't let fear rob you of your joy. God will look after you no matter what you're going through. Be patient, be patient. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Even if you have to say like Job in the middle of his trial, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why? because God will look after you. And then in verses 6 to 19, he then goes on to talk about the enemy will perish. Because he not only talks about judgment on the Babylonians, but he talks about the fact that they will be totally destroyed. And of course, we know it was by the means of the Persians. And they laid the, in fact, they laid their capital city to waste and had their own capital city, their empire. And, and, and the Babylonian empire was practically destroyed. And the enemy will perish. Let me tell you something. Satan is already defeated. 
When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, the job was done. Everything that needed to be done for your salvation and for God to meet you on, your, on his behalf, it was done in that moment. Yet we do know that the devil still goes around trying to suggest he's godless. But listen, he's only a roaring lion. And he's not even a roaring lion because the bird says he's like a roaring lion. In other words, he's a lion in a cage roaring at you. Now, I know. I, I, it happened to me once at Chessington Zoo when I was young. I was walking by the lion's cage and suddenly one of the lions came to the uh, bars and he roared. I think I must have jumped three foot in the air. It was <laughs> frightening. And yet, he was caged. He couldn't touch me. Make a lot of noise. And the devil's like that, you know. He makes a lot of noise. But in the end, his threats are totally empty. They're empty. He can say what he likes. God is watching over you. God's cannabis. The angel of the Lord encamps about those that fear him. His threats are empty. A rabbit liked to te love teasing people. So one day he walked into a dry cleaner's shop and asked for a carrot. And the owner replied, we don't sell carrots. Try the greengrocers along the road. The next day the rabbit returned and said, have you got any carrots? This is a dry cleaner's, said the owner through clenched teeth. Try the grocers. The next day the rabbit came in again. He said, have you got any carrots? And the Owner totally lost it. He said, I've told you before, he said, we don't sell carrots. And if you come in here and ask me again, I'll get some ropes, I'll tie you up, and I'll give you to the butcher. Well, the following day, the rabbit came in again. He looked the owner in the eye and said, have you got any ropes? And the cleaner puzzle said, no. So the rabbit said, you got any carrots? <laughs> In other words, he knew all of his threats were totally empty. They were totally meaningless. He couldn't do a thing about it. And listen then, friends. One day, the enemy will vanish. Verse 14 says, for the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. But also God is sovereign. I mean, it says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all earth keep silent before him. In other words, though he tarries, he says, wait for it, because it will surely come. Listen, friends, God is seated. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. God is enthroned on high. He is sovereign. He is in control. Whether you think he's not, whether it looks like he's not, the fact is, he is in control. And there's nothing going to change that. There is nothing going to stop that. So don't listen to Satan. He's a liar. He's a liar. He can't do anything. He can't do anything. And friends, these are contradictions to fear. If you understand these things, they tell you, what's the point of being afraid? But that doesn't stop you getting afraid, does it? Come on, look at me. Does it stop you getting afraid, even when you know those things to be true? No, it doesn't. There are moments... So how do you cope with it? Well, that's what chapter 3 is about. And interestingly, chapter 3, the 
prophet hears from God. And he also speaks. And in doing so, we notice a few things that if you put at the heart of your Christian life, you will be able to cope with fear. Number one, have a reverence, respect for God. Oh Lord, I heard your speech and was afraid. Now here, he's not being afraid of things happening around him. And now he's got a fear of God. And it's, it's a good fear. It's an awe. It's a wonder. And friends, do you fear God? I wonder what would happen if the glory of God actually came down this morning. I mean, really. Like it did in the temple. And, 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 and up there, there was a cloud. And in that cloud, there were flashes of light. And the place was filled with light. And it came upon us so heavy, we couldn't stand and we were flat on our faces. Would you be enjoying it? Or would you be scared? Now, God did this in the Old Testament. Not just the New Testament, the Old Testament. And friends, we, we need to understand that God is great and God is incredible. And, and, and there are times, friends, when we need the fear of God to come upon the church because it wipes out all other fears. We haven't got time to be afraid of anything else when you're, when you're in, in fear of God and you're respecting him. So the first thing is, have a reverence, respect for God. Two, get a revelation of God. Now, what is interesting here is um, God begins to speak and, and, and the prophet's speaking and he talks of certain things. In verses 3 to 4, he talks of God came from Tamar, the Holy One from Mount Baron. His glory covered the heavens. Now, he's probably referring to Mount Sinai. And, and, and suddenly the prophet, despite everything, is suddenly thinking back to that moment when the glory of God came upon the mountain, when Moses went up and came back and his face shone. And, and, and suddenly he can see the glory of God. Now I want to tell you, friends, get a revelation of the glory of God, and I'll tell you something, all fear of God, of anything you might be afraid of, you will suddenly be afraid no longer. And I want to tell you, there have been times and there will be times when God's glory will come upon his church. Many of you have seen the uh, videos, the Revelation videos, Restoration videos. You will know that in the north of uh, Canada, there was a revival uh, in one of the most sinful areas where, the, um, where there was adultery, where there was alcoholism, there was all kinds of things going on. And the people were rampant with sin. There was a little church and a little group of young people. And they were praying and asking God to move. And suddenly, they heard a wind blow, like a wind blowing in the place. And, 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 and actually, they recorded it, because the recorder was on. And you can hear them, you can hear them kind of, young people say, oh, God, oh, God, oh, you know, with, with, as, as they're overwhelmed. And you can hear the wind blowing. Do you know, it, they, they weren't sure what it was. And so they actually turned all the electrical equipment off. And at the end of the meeting, when they went back, they found that it still kept on recording. With all the plugs out, with no connections, the recorder kept on recording. And, 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 the glory, and, and you know, that changed that whole area. There was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See his glory. See his power. He talks about his power. There his power was hidden. And again, he was reminding this prophet of all the things that had happened in Egypt and all the miracles they had seen. You know, I did it in the past. Can't I do it now? 
He talks about his everlasting ways in verses 5 and 6. His wrath and anger in verses 7 to 12. His salvation in verses 13 to 15. Friends, if you really want to get rid of fear, get your eyes on God. If you want to know how to cope with fear, see God for who he is. We have a God who is so mighty and so wonderful and so fantastic. But then in verses 16 to 19, he talks about relying upon God. Learn to rely upon God. When you're in a situation, don't rely upon yourself. Rely upon God. Rely on him humbly. That's what verse 16 says. When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Suddenly, he realizes here is a God who can undertake. Rely on him for provision. You know, in these verses, there are probably some of the most wonderful verses in Scripture. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olive tree may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the food, and there be no herd in the stable, yet I will rejoice. Friends, God is able. I must stop there. You can cope with fear. Let's pray. Martin.